Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to this, the second episode of the Elevation Podcast Series hosted by the Colorado PGA. We've had great feedback from our first episode with Chris McChesney, and we're really looking forward to jumping into this, our second episode. For those of you that attended our spring business meeting back in March of 2018, you probably remember a bunch of snow and some pretty treacherous roads that day, but hopefully you also remember our education host, Trevor Reagan, and his relatable story about the jungle tiger and zoo tiger. Trevor is today's guest. Trevor was somebody that our team was introduced to at the Youth and Family Summit, and his message about learning and his way of presenting was absolutely incredible. Trevor has kept up the hard work on the topic of learning and how we can be better in that area. Since 2018, Trevor's moved on from Denver and now lives in Iowa, where he's working on a lengthy research project. He has essentially rebranded his program from Train Ugly to the Learner Lab and just recently dropped the second season of his own podcast. Joining me this week as the co-host is Leighton Smith, a PGA professional from Colorado Springs who runs his own academy, Leighton Smith Golf. Leighton has stayed in touch with Trevor and does a great job relating the ideas that Trevor has back to that of the golf professional. On a Colorado PGA note, as we deal with the COVID-19 pandemic, be sure to engage it with us when it works for you. We have our 2020 spring business meeting coming up next week on April 6th, where we'll be delivering the entire production via webinar. Check out more information on that event and much more about the COVID-19 pandemic on our website, coloradopga.com. I'm excited for you to check out this episode of the Elevation series hosted by the Colorado PGA. Look for more episodes coming soon as we try to elevate the learning of our members and associates. Welcome to this episode of the Elevation podcast series. Uh, our co-host today is Leighton Smith. Leighton Smith is the Colorado PGA's 2017 Player Development Award winner. He's a graduate of the PGM program at the University of Colorado, Colorado Springs. Since he's graduated, he's spent time with the International Junior Golf Academy, the first tee of Pikes Peak, and he's launched Leighton Smith Golf. So Leighton, thank you for joining us uh, on today's podcast. Thanks, Patrick. Glad to be here. And our uh, guest this week is uh, somebody that hopefully our members are familiar with. He was a guest at our spring meeting a number of years ago, Trevor Reagan. Uh, Trevor uh, is somebody that I had the fortune of listening to at the Youth and Family Summit uh, in conjunction with the PGA Merchandise Show three, four, five years ago. Uh, and, And I was blown away uh, by his presentation, both the content, uh, the visualization, um, you know, really the delivery. It, it stood out that day. Uh, and we were lucky enough to find that Trevor lived in our own backyard at the time. Uh, he was right here in Denver. So we reached out to him, brought him in for our spring business meeting. And uh, you know, while the conditions were, were pretty tough, similar to what we've had the last four or five days, a lot of snow, uh, making travel pretty difficult difficult. Um, Trevor, he delivered. Uh, it was an awesome experience to have him sharing his message with our Colorado PGA members. Uh, so Trevor, welcome. Thank you for joining us. Uh, no problem at all. I'm excited for this. So just a, a quick update on uh, on Trevor um, and a little bit of background. He's actually from our neighboring state to the north, Wyoming, uh, spent his college years at Duke University, where he was a manager on the men's basketball team. 
Followed that up uh, with some time in Australia before coming back here to Denver and really jumping into uh, what at the time was Train Ugly and has morphed into the Learner Lab. So um, really uh, moving the needle uh, in, in a space that I don't think a whole lot of people uh, thought about or gave credit to in the past when it comes to learning and how people uh, engage with learning. So really, really good stuff uh, that, that I've seen. Uh, I've, I've been blown away by the growth from when I first saw your stuff to where we are today, uh, having gone through the first season of the podcast and hopefully, you know, moving forward into season two, like we were talking about. So I just, I want to hop right into things. Uh, this is yep. really just to kind of pick your brain and, and share your experiences, your knowledge with us and our members that are listening. So sure. whatever Layton, you, you want to talk in. about. Yeah, let's do this. Awesome. Uh, Trevor, yeah, if you can just tell us a little bit about the Learner Lab and just to give our, our listeners just a quick background of even what you'd call, you know, your 30-second elevator pitch because we, we know you yep. for obviously the, the growth mindset and personally, you know, I'm a follower and believer of your work and research just because of mm-hmm. kind of just conquering fear and, and looking at things yeah. and even in, we'll get to it later, but just in the golf industry in general, after your your presentation at our fall meeting um, kind of got me going right off the bat with some things and felt mm-hmm. motivated. So just tell us just nice. a quick spiel about what you feel your main mission is and, and what your kind of sure. dreams and goals are short term. So the main mission from the start has been like, all right, we believe learning is a skill, which means it's something that anyone can improve on. I think improving that skill is a good idea, no matter who we are, what we do. And so then our mission is like, well, how do you do that? What are the tools that can help someone become a better learner? Uh, and there's so many things that can fall under that umbrella. So our job is to like sift through it all, sort of connect the dots and and kind of, and in the past couple of years, we've been able to f- land on a few like foundational tools. Not to say that they're the only tools that could help you become a better learner, but I think they're like three or four big ideas that seem to connect with people. And then my job, what I do is like dig into each one of those pillars and try to get really, really good at explaining it to people and really, really good at sort of connecting that to applications. So it's like, okay, well, what is this? How do I use it? And that's where I spend most of my time now. I love it. So, and you, you, it seems to work with, you know, many corporations, sports organizations, um, any, anywhere in the education system. So obviously us as PGA golf professionals and, and members of the PGA of America, you know, our, our industry is niche in the aspect that, you know, we revolve around a sport and a game, but also, you know, customer service and and relationship building. So when it comes to learning in our industry, you know, how, how do you coach even other corporate organizations of, or educators of, yes, we want to learn and we want to grow in our own space. So in, in the golf industry and in our, all of our products and retail and, but how, how can we grow outside of that? So how can we, especially, you know, the first question would be start with learning. How can we develop that motivation for wanting sure. to learn more in golf and out of golf? 
Right. So there, there's a lot, but like step one, no matter who we're talking to is just maybe like we're trying to nail two things. First is to realize that more things are skills than we realize. And like, that might seem like a simple thing, but it's very important to nail that. It's like, look, friendliness is a skill. Leadership is a skill. Storytelling is a skill. And so we need to understand that all these things that we value and whatever it is we do, we can improve those things. The second layer, like to build off of that is not only are most things skills, like the rule of thumb is, well, if someone can get better at it, we could get better at it, which means it's a skill. And then to, to build on top of that is the science says that pretty much anyone can get better at pretty much any skill. Again, that might seem simple, but that's powerful. And we have piles of studies, piles of interviews that will support that statement. Not to say we're going to master every skill or be experts at everything, but we can get better than we think, which is like so important to wrap our heads around. So to me, that's sort of like the foundational layer. It's like, okay, more things are skills than I realize and I can build them if I earn it. It's not easy, not fun, not fast, but I can get better better than I think. So what Um, would you say, um, you know, in Colorado here, obviously it's seasonal. Many of our jobs are seasonal. You know, we have things that keep us busy year round. So, you know, currently in this recording, you know, it's, it's, we're kind of weaning into spring almost. And what would you say is is a good technique or strategy or, or way to get the ball going, going when it, when it comes to learning and trying to figure out, all right, this year I want to grow in these areas. Right. So sometimes we wrap our heads around those statements I just made, but it's so overwhelming. It's like, well, I can learn anything, but where do I start? And so I think a good tip would be, and and I've just started thinking about this is like, sometimes when people hear our message, it's like, oh, I'm a learner. I could learn all these things, but uh, I don't know. I don't know what to do. And, and I think it's like, I don't know how to explain it other than like, it's okay to iterate and change within your lane. Uh, For instance, with what I do, I'm on... I'm on the road and I'm not going to get off this road. I'm going to be talking about the science of learning until I retire. And like I'm on that lane, but within this lane, there's so much room for improvement. Uh, For instance, over the last three months, I found one of the world's best storytellers and he's being, he's my story coach. He's helping me craft better stories and become a better communicator. I spend a lot of time studying design and production and animation so I could figure out how to to make better videos so people uh, can learn more from a 12 minute video we produce. So within my lane, there's like endless things that I can dig into. And so again, I'm not saying like, it might be fun for me to go learn to dance, but that might not help me in my professional career. Nothing wrong with learning that, but there's so many skills within my profession that I could dig into that could make a huge impact on what I do and the quality of the stuff that we produce. And so I would encourage people to maybe think about it the same way. It's like, all right, well, what are a few like relevant skills or tools that if I acquired could help me make a leap forward? Is it communication? Is it sales? Is it design? Like these are things that could help us all. And then we just go back to the foundation we laid earlier. Okay. Those are skills and we can build them. Now we have to find ways to get reps and practice them. Love it. Cause that kind of connects a little bit of passion too. And I think for us mm-hmm. midsummer, usually, you know, we're all grinding, whether, you know, we're general managers or myself, a golf instructor outside all day, you know, teaching, 
And sometimes the, the thought of learning and improving, I mean, I, I love it. And when I do an instruction, I mean, I, I constantly try to learn and learning daily. But if I, you know, want to take kind of a big undertaking and learning certain parts of the golf swing or from certain coaches, it can be daunting. But if I come and say, kind of like your dance analogy, look, this is this is interesting to me. And I it kind of fuels the fire a bit. And that's where from my experience in listening to your content, it kind of, when you connect that passion with a desire to learn and something that'll help you in your professional or personal, mm -hmm. you know, genre, that's where it's, it kind of has the best success. Yeah. And I think there's two other ideas that have helped me a lot lately. One is when we embark on a learning journey, we should start embarrassingly small. And like, mm -hmm. that seems kind of counterintuitive, but it's good because sometimes if where I'm at to where I want to be, if that gap is too big, I'm not going to sustain the action to get there. And so actually having a big goal is good, but finding like small chunks to get the ball rolling is massive because that's going to help me start to build a habit around this. And with consistent action, I can be begin to like build on top of that. Um, the other interesting thing is in a conversation I had with a neuroscientist, he was talking about like, yeah, when you like learn new things, you're actually building new pathways in your brain, which is super interesting. But he's like, what people don't realize is while you're learning, you're also improving the machinery in your brain that controls learning for everything else. And so if I'm a more active learner, not only do I acquire new skills, of course I do, but I'm actually becoming a better learner in the process, which is going to help learning additional skills be more efficient. It's like, whoa. It's so it's the statement I made at the start. It's like learning is a skill. Well, you become a better learner by learning. It's like, wow, that can really start to snowball. And so there's like a lot of upside in being a more aggressive learner, I think, and just taking more action in that department. Trevor, you touched on it uh, briefly, um, but also at the same time, I think everything you were just saying there touches on this as well. I think a lot of people have a struggle and say say to themselves, well, you know, I have three, five, 12, 100 reasons not to do this, not to take a step forward, not to uh, face my fear and not to try. And, and obviously you get back to the tenets of, of growth mindset, fixed mindset. It's very easy for people to say, you know, in late in the situation, I'm working 70 hours this week, giving golf, golf lessons, or I've got too much going on when it comes to managing my operation, my family, this, that, and the other thing. It's easy right. to find reasons not to take that first step. Mm -hmm. What would you tell somebody or what are your thoughts on, on how do you take that leap and right. how do you push yourself so, forward when you have have all those reasons not to couple things uh if we're waiting for the perfect environment and time to do it we'll never start because it doesn't exist so there's never the perfect situation where we have all the time all the resources all the knowledge all the support it doesn't exist but something that we know to be true is that great learning can happen anywhere now it might be difficult but i will go to bat on that statement and i can go to bat on it because we've worked with some people in some really really tough places like i've done a few workshops literally in prisons you could argue maybe not the best environment for learning like they have to deal with things I can't even understand or fathom yet some of the best learners I've ever met have been in those environments uh, I use time as an excuse quite a bit when it comes to working out like uh, I can't work out today don't have three hours 
But the truth is like a five minute workout is better than a zero minute workout. And a lot of five minute workouts stacked on top of one another, I can actually make big sweeping changes and like learning is the same. So we, that kind of just funnels back to the, the art of starting small. It's like, if I'm starting small, I'm more likely to make a lasting change because what I'm doing is I'm putting in consistent action. So think about, uh, I think the reason we need to start small is one, if it's small, I'm more likely to start and more likely to sustain. So sustaining is I get hyped up. It's new year's. I want to start running. I go out on day one and run five miles and then I'm so sore. I can't run anymore. And then my new year's resolution lasted a day because I started too big. Be much better if I was like, I'm going to run for five minutes and I'm going to do this for like three weeks. And then after that, I'm going to do seven because that is going to help me make a lasting change. And then the other, uh, the other tactic that we do is like, okay, if you look into the research of like meditation, it's hands down valuable and I've seen it all. I know it would be super beneficial to me. And then I get excited. Like, yeah, I should be really meditating like 45 minutes to an hour a day. That lasts zero days. I literally don't start (laughs) because it's like too big. So once again, the art of starting small would be, well, could you meditate for five minutes and could you do that consistently? And then we start to build on that. It's like, it's not as sexy to start small, but it's like actually the way better approach if we're trying to make a lasting change. Right. And one thing to, to tie that in is, you know, as golf professionals, we're all fortunate because we work around a sport that we love or, you know, at least love once. But to be honest, as a young professional in the industry, I see around me a lot, you know, of people who are obviously burnt out from the game because this is their industry. And, you know, even when it comes down to we have our own tournament series and playing, you know, I think what you just said is so valuable because for us as professionals, we're all early should be decent at the game of golf, right? And playing, but there can come a time when after working just long weeks and being at the course all day, the idea of practicing to, to keep our skills sharp is brutal yeah. like we want to get the heck yeah. out of there usually and so sure. that's where it's like even for for me or myself i'm like oh, i gotta practice an hour and, and you know get a good range session in and that's where mm-hmm. you know it's not realistic but to your point okay five minutes like le- literally 20 shots let's get in today mm-hmm. and i think you know for all of us professionals here in colorado even in the winter it's like that's a perfect piece of advice just to kind of connected yeah, in the passion because that's where um, that's where the excitement's going to come out and i i think like the rule of thumb is a little action is better than no action it's like okay we can do a little and then i think the motivation and passion it's like as humans i think most like most people are fueled by growth so even if it's small little steps if we're just kind of zooming out and just learning new things like that is exciting in and of itself if we're like going through the work and earning earning new skills it's like yeah this is awesome so that's another reason that we should be thinking about learning in this type of way uh and taking more action in that department i think it that is exciting and motivating to see that progress like it's like earned growth like i don't know anyone that doesn't like that it's amazing how difficult to your point like the meditation thing or just you know, all right, even 10, 20 minutes or fitness, dieting, whatever. Yeah. And sure. even if we have the intention to start small, how quickly that can escalate in our own, yeah. you know, in our own brains of, man, I, you know, I should be here or I should be doing more. And it's yeah. like, 
for whatever reason, you know, things can just be given up so easily versus, I mean, it's yep. such a good reminder. I, like, literally two I, minutes is better than zero. But for whatever reason, that, right. that can disappear so, so quickly. I think there are a lot of enemies to taking and sustaining action. We've hit a couple, but like we could just be clear on them. One is starting too big. That's an enemy. Like we got to start small. The other are sort of our limiting beliefs like, oh, I just can't do this. That gets into the growth of fixed mindset stuff. So we kind of have to attack that. And I think we did that at the start of the conversation. Like most things are skills. We could get better at skills. Everyone can get better at any skill if they do the work. And then the other, and we've sort of like touched on it a, a bit is just the, is fear or discomfort. And that's the, maybe arguably one of the toughest parts of learning is when we're learning something new, it doesn't necessarily feel good. There's discomfort, there's fear, there's stress as part of that journey. And so understanding those things, like that's a valuable tool as well, you know? That's awesome. So those are three big enemies, I think. Now, I, I think that the idea of fear is one of the things that has resonated with me, both from the first time I heard you at our spring meeting and then that everything that you know I've seen since. It's, it's that idea of fear. And it's so, it can be so paralyzing. But at the same time, once you move past it, the, the idea that you become okay with your own fear is incredibly... Um, it's almost like there's a release where you're like, you know what? That's okay. And if, if I mess up and I fail just a little bit, or if I fail a lot, that's okay. I'm going to learn from it. And and it's the the freedom that you get from that. I I would say that understanding is so incredibly powerful. It's, It's massive. It's, it might be one of the most valuable things that we teach people. And it seems to be the section of our workshop that connects the most with the audience. And I mean, it takes 75 minutes to fully go through the whole idea, but the punchline of that section is we have to understand that feeling uncomfortable and feeling a bit of fear is human. Like the whole goal is to this, this idea of reappraising those things means changing the way we think about those things. The problem is over 90% of us, if you were asked like, okay, before uh, a big tournament or even a shot and you feel a bit uncomfortable, what do you think would be the best tactic? In a, in a survey they did, 91% of people think that you should tell yourself to calm down or not be afraid. And if you just look into the research that that compares that strategy with this more of like acceptance strategy, acceptance kicks the crap out of suppression all day, every day, no matter what emotion you're looking at. The problem is most people in society think that the calm down, don't be afraid, be fearless approach is best. But the problem is that often makes the fear worse. So uh, can I, I'll, uh, can I explain like a one minute study that illustrates the point? And I think there's a lot of value in this. Are we good with that? Okay. So Alison Woodbrooks, she's a researcher. She did this at Harvard Business School. Uh, the study is bigger, but the one portion of the study that maybe is relevant for this, uh, they put students in a high stress situation. You had to go into a room and there's a Nintendo Wii hooked up to a TV and there's three strangers sitting at the table in front of you and you have to sing, don't stop believing to them. <laughs> and the people at the table were trained 
to give you no facial feedback. So they like sat there with a frown on their face the entire song. <laughs> so it's like, obviously, that's a situation where most of us, we're going to be feeling something. That's going to be an uncomfortable situation. Now, the interesting thing is there was two groups of students in the study. The first group before they performed that task was taught, calm down, don't be afraid, sort of our, our default approach. The second group was the reappraisal group that was taught, hey, feeling this before uh, a task, feeling nervous before a task like this or during it, totally normal. That's human. That's expected. Like, of course, you're going to feel it. So we have this reappraisal group. We have the suppression group. The reappraisal group scored like an 81% on the song. The suppression group scored a 51%. That's like a 30% boost in performance. Now... The interesting thing, I think the, the big nugget of this topic comes if you put yourself into the shoes of group one. Group one is taught, don't be afraid, but then they're in a situation where they do feel afraid. How are they going to interpret those feelings? Probably is a negative thing. You tell me don't feel, but I do feel. And then that starts this snowball of shame of like, uh oh, I shouldn't feel this, but I do. Something's wrong. I'm not ready. I'm failing. And all that makes it worse. Then you put yourself into the shoes of group three who's taught feeling is okay. Then they're in the situation, they're feeling it, but they're likely to interpret that, interpret that as like a human response. And I think the reason it affects performance is group three or the first group, the suppression group, where was their attention while they're singing the song? on the fear. Because you tell me to not feel it, but then I do. That's unexpected. My attention is on fighting this losing battle of why am I afraid? I'm not supposed to be. You told me not to feel, but I am. The second group, the reappraisal group, their attention is on singing the song. Both groups feel the same. This is the key. And in fact, in the study, she measures blood pressure. She looks at other like physiological responses. And in the two groups, they're the same. Same blood pressure, same heart rate. Nothing changes. The feeling remains the same. But the way we interpret the feeling has an impact on the performance. And so like, whoa, just take that to any sort of performance environment in school, sports and life. The punchline is we just need to upgrade the way we think and talk about fear. It's OK. It's human. Like it's just part of our brain. And you could get into the science of that. But that's the, the point that we try to drive home. I just did that presentation with a group of sixth graders last week. They loved it. It was just like, it's such a, a powerful idea. And I just think it's important for all of us to understand there's like feeling uncomfortable doesn't mean we're doing something wrong. It doesn't mean we're not ready. It means we're a human. Like that's how we feel when we venture out of our comfort zone. Uh, and so the whole idea is for people to understand like to become a better learner, it's not about becoming fearless. It's just we want to give fear less power when we're learning. We, we don't want fear making our decisions when we're trying to learn. Yet that's kind of our default approach. Everybody's wired that way. It's fight or flight. I mean, all the way back to the Neanderthals. It's, Those are natural yeah. things. And once you right. learn to be able to deal with that, it's to me, it's incredibly it's, powerful. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's 100% wired in yet so many times we're trying to fight human nature when this is just about kind of working with our nature and just understanding it a little more in depth and right. just following what the science shows. Uh, if, if people were more interested on that topic, I actually did a TEDx talk about uh, the fear research. It's like a, maybe a 15 minute version of the three minute version I just gave you. Very cool. um, if you just type in Trevor fear, you could find it. Love it. Um, 
I guess switching gears a tad, what would you say? Because I think, you know, obviously we're talking specifically in the golf industry at this moment, but it applies to any industry. And when you approach burnout or you see other people's in burnout, so maybe it's just from working, you know, just brutal hours all through the season. Maybe it's through losing passion and not being sure really what you want to do. What would you say, like, what are some some practical steps or pieces of advice you might have for when you're feeling burnt out from, again, maybe it's the hours that you work or just from the lack of passion that you have. How can, yeah. how can we create this into one, a learning experience and two, like we just talked about saying, look, this is a normal feeling, but these are some mm-hmm. practical things that I can remind myself or steps I can take to kind of engage passion sure. and find a better balance. It's like, I think stacking up a win is exciting. So it's like, what if, and we've been, we've been teaching this to some of the groups we work with. We're calling it like the learner action plan, which is like, all right, you have two weeks and you have to pick a skill. It has to be important and useful. You got two weeks to learn it. Let's make a plan to do it. And like, I kind of even like doing that with myself. It becomes exciting. It's like, look, I like the two week ceiling because that means, of course, I'm not going to master this, but I can learn enough to be dangerous. And it's like, again, it doesn't require a, a ton of time and action, but it's like exciting to be like, all right, if I could, out of all these weapons out here, what is one that I could add to the belt? And like, all right, I have two weeks to try to do that. And at the end of the two weeks, it's like, nice. Like I couldn't do this. Now I could. And I think that is like an earned win in the right direction. That's kind of exciting. And then I could work to build on that. I could be acquiring new skills. I think that's like a good way to kind of like shake the dust and like kind of get back into this learning mode. And it doesn't have to be a huge thing. It could be a small thing, but especially with some of the sports teams I've worked with in the last year, uh, like the BYU football team did this, like every couple of weeks, every player was picking something else that they wanted to focus on and really get after. Uh, my brother's volleyball team did this and it, it seemed to like have a, a benefit on the learning culture as a whole, but it was like kind of more exciting for the players. They're still doing the same stuff, going to the same practice, but they kind of had that North Star, like this concrete thing on the back, like in their mind that they were really focused on. And it also kind of like frees you up to like not be good at it. Yeah, it's and like, that's, yeah, I'm, I'm learning it. Like, of course, I'm gonna, I'm not gonna be good, but I'm like getting good at the skill of feeling uncomfortable. It's like you're, you're practicing all these theories that we just presented. It's, I that's think, a really funny. good idea. It goes idea. back to where we started the talk of, you know, versus setting a new year, new year's resolution to run five miles a day. It's like, it goes right back yeah. to, all right, I'm gonna start with five minutes. And versus saying, you know, I want to get sure. good at this part in my job. Love the two week idea. I think that's super practical. And, and, and that's something like literally anyone listening, we're all communicators. Like I can't stress it enough. Like just reading one book about the the science of storytelling and how to do it better. And in the conversations I've had with Matthew Dix, one of the world's best storytellers, I've made a huge leap forward. I'm not the best storyteller, not going to go pro, but it's made a profound impact on every workshop I give. And it's made this podcast better. And that I, I read one book, had a few conversations on Skype, and I listened to Matthew Dick's podcast. That's pretty easy. Like it didn't, I didn't have to sacrifice a lot of time, but it, 
it's like a valuable tool that's going to help me. And then I could keep building. I like, I could continue to become a better storyteller. And it's just like, I just feel like there's so many things like that, like this low hanging fruit. And like, all we have to do is pick it. So many of these resources are free. Like there's really smart people out there that would love to help you love to talk. Like, it's awesome. Like I just emailed Matthew Dix. I was like, love your book. Uh, I speak for a living. Can I pick your brain about a few things? He responded that day, like, of course. And so it's like, I don't know. Some like, that's another part of the learning process. It's like, I, I want people to understand the resources are everywhere. Most of them are free. We just kind of have to be hungry to go like find them. It's like, wow. Um, and I found that most people are super excited to share their ideas with others. And so like the, the, one of the most common questions people ask about my podcast is like, whoa, how'd you get that person? It's like, I emailed them. Like, <laughs> that's it. There's we, no magic. We feel the same way. Yeah. Love yeah. Them, <laughs> that's, that's actually a perfect segue. And, and you were almost answering the question that I had in the back of my mind right there. It's, it's it, as you're doing this, you talked about, you know, kind of having a North star, something to believe in, something to help push you forward. And I think mentors and people outside of your specific realm are incredible at doing that. So as you've grown, um, you know, from Train Ugly to the Learner Lab, as you've created the content, as you've moved forward in all of these different areas, how important is that to your personal growth? And how can somebody, I would say, look inside themselves and understand that? And and Mm -hmm. how do they take that step? I know you say sending an email. It's more than that. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a few things. Mentors have been like the bedrock of all of this, like to help me get started. uh, A lot of my mentors came from the volleyball world and they just helped me like kind of understand that this science is out there and it exists and like pointed me in the right direction. They helped me kind of get the ball rolling. And so I think it's super valuable. I think there are two maybe out of the box ways to think of mentors that I might recommend. Ideally, we're in touch with them and emailing them. And and I had a few of those to get started, but we can have mentors that we literally don't talk to. It's like, like Seth Godin has shaped the, the way I structure my business, the way I market, the way I communicate, the way I teach. And I've had one Skype conversation with him that lasted 30 minutes. And he taught me about none of those things. And so like, I, 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 I trust that guy. I believe in his message. I read all of his books, all of his blogs, listen to every podcast he's on. And he's a mentor. He, he's like shaping me in so many ways. And I've talked to him for 20 minutes. Now, ideally, I would be in touch with him and that might be better. But don't just let the fact that I can't communicate with this person like chop them off from being a mentor. I would say Brene Brown has been a mentor of mine. She's, her work has shaped a ton of my content. I've never spoken with her, but I'm always digging in. Like if, if she's, if, if she's on a pod, if she's like posting anything, I'm listening. And so I'd say I've been shaped by in-person mentors that I've been in touch with, but also mentors that like I've never communicated with. The other thing I'd recommend, and I just fell into this, I didn't know what I was doing, but finding mentors outside of your industry is like awesome. Um, 
I have the unfair advantage in what I do because I train with schools and sports teams and corporations. I got to dip my foot into all of these buckets and like all those buckets should be collaborating more. Like the startup world is so innovative and the way they solve problems could benefit the way schools and sports people like solve problems. We should be learning from their tactics. But... I'd also argue the sports world is really good at creating like engagement and excitement around learning. Well, education in the corporate world should learn from that. And uh, maybe the sports world, we could learn from education and how we frame uh, a lesson. And so like we should be just like looking at sources outside of the sports world and trying to connect those dots back into the things that we learn. There's a lot of good ideas outside of sports. And I think that's something I know to be true and it's helped me a ton. It's funny you say that. I, I mean, that, that your first idea there that, it, that mentor might not be somebody that you talk with and interact with every single day. It, that, mm-hmm. that hits home with me. I, I mean, yep. I, I'm not good at going out and saying, hey, do you want to be my mentor and have coffee every Tuesday morning? That doesn't fit yeah. with me. But for yeah. me to be able to read a book and follow somebody obviously have followed you for a while um sure it's it's to me that's a lot easier to digest and it's a lot easier to have or or (laughs) learn from so yeah and it it goes back to starting small again it's like and and honestly if you put yourself into their shoes they probably don't have the time to meet for every week and have coffee with you and so it's like not ideal for them now it could be like I read their book and then I have a question that now it's not just like, I just want to be around you and pick your brain. It's, I read your book. I'm really curious about this. Uh, if you have a minute, can we like, uh, can we do an interview or you could just reply to this email. And so like, that's a better way to do it anyways. And so I think that's important. It's awesome. So when it comes to, to shifting culture, let's say, you know, specifically in the workplace, but obviously, you know, we could speak generationally and, and, you know, just from from the youth that's coming up below us to, you know, what are the generations ahead of us have left behind. Again, like in the golf shop and with staff and even, you know, I work with adults and juniors, but I have like a junior development program and and building a culture is super important to me. And through, yep. you know, listening to your info, it's have, giving them room to, to fail is huge and, and setting them up and being able to learn from mistakes. But what would you say in a staffing environment is uh, just, again, more practical, small ways to to right. increase culture, you know, in nice. positive culture, nice. let's say. And, you know, one of them is obviously lead by example. So I think purely that's you, huge. You know, yeah. if I was, hey, guys, I'm going to do this two week, you know, learner lab action plan and here's the skill that i want to you know build within myself and if you guys want to join me you know how about you think about it like i you know i can see how that would apply but what are your thoughts there modeling modeling is fantastic and there's a lot of research that shows that if someone in a leadership role is modeling certain behaviors it now creates a safer environment for others to do the same so what's going to happen is if you're doing the action plan you're going to be struggling and if the students can look at you and they see like, wow, even he struggles when he learns something new, kind of normalizes struggle, makes it easier for me to do the same. Uh, so when we're working with leaders, we really hit home the value of modeling and get we really get into that. The other is just kind of understanding labels. So 
Robert Rosenthal, he's one of the hundred most cited researchers ever. He's like on the list. He's in his 90s. He's still a professor in California. I interviewed him. I went and visited him. In 1968, I wasn't around at this time, but <laughs> he he goes to a California public school. He says, I've created a better IQ test. My test is better because I can identify bloomers. Maybe not the students with the best grades now, but the students that will make the biggest leap this year. He goes, can I give your students this exam? I'll give you the results for free. The school agrees. Gives all the students the test, processes the results, gives the school a list of 20 names. He said, here are your bloomers. Maybe not the best scores, but they're going to make the biggest jump. Comes back a year later, gives all the students the same exam. The students on the list, their scores went up 27 points. The students not on the list, their scores went up 12. So the bloomers more than doubled the progress of the others. So the school is like, wow, like what characteristics do you test for? How do you identify a bloomer? And he goes, oh, I didn't even look at the results of the study. I just gave you 20 names. Whoa. And so this, 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 this is one study in a bigger area that he's spent literally decades researching called the Pygmalion effect, which is sort of the, the beliefs or labels of the leader can become self-fulfilling for the people around them. And it's not magic. It's like what happens. It's, it's simple. It's when they replicate the study, they found that in this study, the students weren't aware of the label. They weren't like, oh, I'm a bloomer. No, but the teachers were. And the teachers were more likely to call on a bloomer, more likely to support them when they're struggling. If they weren't a bloomer, less likely to get called on, less support. So it's like, we know that reps and support help us grow, but this is showing how the beliefs of the leader can like put people into boxes and they could become true. And so what I would recommend is, one, if you just understand the, the, the premise of the Pygmalion effect it's labels become true now that could be good and bad and so when I work with leaders what we really try to hammer home is the importance of the word learner so if you think about it if I'm a math teacher to use the Pygmalion effect it's not oh everyone in my math class could get a hundred percent no that's not true it's like I could give them equal reps equal support and we're never going to see hundreds across the board some students are going to be better at math than others so the label shouldn't be attached to an outcome like that, but we should use the label learner. It's like, look, you're better at math than me, but we can both get better at math. And so if I had like what if I had five minutes to help someone become a better leader, I'd tell them about that research and I'd recommend that you look at everyone around you as a learner because that word holds us accountable. Of course, everyone's different and we have different strengths and weaknesses and that's good, but everyone can get better at stuff. If we truly believe that everyone's a learner, no longer can we put people in boxes and tell them what they can't learn and can't do. And we don't have to be fake. We can say, look, you know, and I know you're not the best putter here. Like that's not your strength, but putting is a skill and skills are something we build. If you want to get better at it, I'm here to help. Yeah, That's, man, that's awesome. treating them as a learner. And I think that like that could benefit anyone in and out of the sports world. It's just like such, that's literally why we changed the name of the website. We need right. to be like really getting after, like it's the best word ever. We should think about ourselves as learners, think about others as learners. It's like a really, really good word. Yeah, evens the playing field. What would you say if, yeah. if it's not an ideal work environment? So maybe, you know, it's the leadership that is not, you know, yeah. putting forth great leadership and it's someone within you know the mm -hmm. staff that's really trying like what what then obviously 
the same thing, you know, leading yeah. by example and hopefully having an effect yeah. on others. But what it's do you like, think? It's there? like, so, so sometimes when we think of the culture as a whole, it's like hard to really change that. But a lot of the research shows that the individual can affect the culture around them. Like if I'm winning some battles between my ears, like I can kind of like that can spill over to, to the person next to me. And like, if that keeps going, we can, maybe shift a culture without the leadership necessarily being on board. Like the, and this happens in the corporate world a lot. There's like a spectrum where we're like, oh, in order to change the culture, the leaders must be better. Or sometimes the leaders are like, in order to change the culture, the individual must be better. And it's like, it's not all on the individual or all on the leader, it's both, we have to do both. And it's never gonna be perfect. So it, it, it's, I know it's easy to say, but it's hard to do that. Even if the leaders aren't on board or the culture as a whole isn't bought into this, we could still do a lot of damage right here. We could do a lot of damage backstage, like just learning ourselves, And that can start to affect the people around us. At the same time, we shouldn't let the leaders off the hook. It's like we should all be finding ways to make a better learning environment for our people. Uh, so awesome. both. <laughs> Yeah, I think it's incredibly powerful. And to me, the word that, that keeps popping up is accountability. You know, if, if mm-hmm. you are that person and, and you want to see that change happen, whether it can or it can't because of, you know, the structure or the culture, you can do mm-hmm. that. You can make those changes. Yeah. You can hold you hold yourself accountable. So even sure. if the culture is, is headed in a different direction or it's not what you would mm-hmm. uh, envision as ideal, you can hold yourself accountable to those ideals 100%. and move forward. And 100%. You know, if, if you get that snowball rolling, you can hold others accountable. And, yeah. and it really can influence the culture, whether that's top down, bottom up, in the middle. Yep. I, I, agree. I think if, if, I agree if somebody's... I agree a lot able we can make big leaps just just right here yep big time and i think that's that it's easy to to get discouraged with that idea yeah right so and again this is this is easy for me to say because my work environment is my dog and i (laughs) so like i'm sure it's 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 really messy and difficult in like a bigger culture but i i do believe it can be done and i've seen enough people doing it to to believe in that statement absolutely what would you say is a a good strategy or mindset for evaluating whether it's your own self-performance or again the culture in your workplace or you know even looking at financial statements i mean it's sure in terms of of timelines and being able to look back maybe it's after this two-week action plan you know at what mm-hmm. What interval do you recommend that and say, you know, let's say if I start off, I'm super gung ho to learn this skill. How often do I check back and again, hold myself accountable or at what point do mm-hmm. you see things fall off and it becomes kind of too general? Sure. I think there's there's a lot of ways and this is an important part of the learning process. So it's like it's sort of OK, we know a, a key piece of learning is feedback and oftentimes we th- we assume feedback has to come from external sources and it's fine when it does, but it doesn't always have to be that. And so a part of the learner action plan, and I'm going to send you the link to where we have a video that unpacks it. It's like, not only do we make people pick a skill, there's three more layers, which is, okay, who are you going to use as a model? Who is someone that's good at this? Whether that's on YouTube or someone around you that's good at the thing. Now they're our model, write that down. 
Next, how are you gonna practice in a way that starts small, but how are these gonna be quality reps that stretch us out of our comfort zone, not just mindless autopilot reps? And then the fourth layer is what you just brought up is feedback, which is how am I gonna collect some feedback around this journey I'm on? One could be external, but the other, the internal one is like, look, when I give a workshop, I hop on a plane and I'm out. Ideally, I could meet with every person at the workshop and pick their brain and get feedback about what could be better. That doesn't happen. But on the plane, I can like run back through the workshop. And if I'm objective and honest with myself, I can recognize, okay, what went well? What didn't? Why did that happen? Are there some things I could like learn from that? I'm essentially giving myself feedback. Uh, In the sports world, a great way to, to give yourself feedback is just filming like simple video delay apps on an iPad. Like I can like work on a particular technique. I could go watch that. I could compare that film with my model. Like there's all sorts of ways to just kind of get creative and give ourselves feedback. So I don't think there's a blueprint, but it's again, it's one of those things that there's so many ways to just cr- get creative and do more of it that are usually free. Uh, it's not always the most comfortable thing to do, but it, it can be done. Right. Well, that's great insight. Awesome. As we uh, kind of wrap things up here, Trevor, want to be conscious of your time, uh, our time, and obviously the length of our podcast, because um, I think we could go on and on and on. I crossed off maybe maybe four of the questions that we had of the you know 12, um, but I'm, I'm blown away um, at the concept uh, of, of being a learner and, and how simple it can be. And that's what I think you do an incredible job at, um, you know, visually, you know, some of the stuff that I've seen come out from you has been, uh, amazing. You know, I tried to read Dweck's book and I'll be honest with you, I can't get through it. It's just, I get about halfway through and I think, okay, I get it. I hear it. It's just so dry. Yep. And then I look at right. and and engage with, you know, what you're putting out there and it, it just brings it all home. And it's, it's, well, it, it's because, and I, I stumbled into this. I don't know what I'm doing, but now I like see the magic learner provides context. So if we're like, all right, becoming a learner is like, a great thing for us to do now it's and a growth mindset can help that but so can understanding fear and so like there's a lot of things underneath it but now I have something I'm pointed at now I want to understand growth mindset because I know it's a useful tool to help me become a better learner and so it just provides like a direction for us to head and like that was a huge leap forward that we made just in the last year it's like yeah so I had like the same feeling. It's like, oh, I get it now. Now I'm like more hungry to learn the tools because I know why I need them. Yep. Awesome. Awesome. So for those that are listening, uh, how can they engage with you, follow up with you? Obviously, the podcast season two coming out. What uh, mm-hmm. what do you have for them to, to really dive into the Learner Lab? Uh, on, <clears throat> on the LearnerLab.com we have three really good videos. Uh, there's one about this growth mindset stuff that we, we teased out a little. There's one about fear that we teased out a little bit. Uh, a little bit. And then there's one uh, called like learning like a jungle tiger. And that is where the action plan is. And then like all of those videos support one another. Those are our three best ones. Uh, I, I try to pump out an article maybe every couple weeks, which is just like maybe looking at these 
concepts from a different perspective. And the first season of the podcast, I think, is really good. I like our pod because kind of like you guys, I'm giving attention and love to the people doing the work and I like let them explain their research and it's pretty cool. So all sorts of different ways to uh, kind of learn about these topics. But if you just go to thelearnerlab.com, my email is there as well if anyone has any questions. Awesome. And if, if you want to, you can also go there, buy a poster and a t-shirt like I did yesterday. <laughs> I hadn't, I I hadn't that seen that. I, I was like, like nice. yes, <laughs> I need to get that. I saw the poster and thought, man, I think about it all the time. Having that up on yeah. my wall will be, will, will be pretty awesome. So Trevor, can't, can't thank you enough for the time. Um, no problem. Your insights are awesome. I look forward to following along in season two and everything else you have coming out with the Learning Lab. Appreciate that. Thanks, guys. Yes. Thanks so Thank much. You.